you for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. In this podcast, I want to talk about a man's ministry. The title of the podcast is A Man's Ministry May Be More Than What You Think. There's a strong desire among many Christians, and it is a good desire to get into ministry, to be able to do something. I'm not talking about necessarily pastoral ministry. That could fit within what I'm talking about here, but I'm just talking about ministry, whether you are a parachurch organization, a small-time blogger, or within the church doing ministry, leading a Bible study, a men's group, women's group, whatever it may be, however you think of ministry, which is taking the gospel of Christ out to the world. But that is the problem that I want to address here. And that's why I titled this podcast, A Man's Ministry May Be More Than What You Think. I've run into this many times, and I've dealt with it in bits and pieces all along the way in various articles and podcasts, but I wanted to devote an entire podcast to this because it is such a a big topic, and I'm talking about the abuses of ministry and that we are not doing ministry the right way. And what I'm talking about here is we are not taking care of our families, and so I want to address the men in this podcast. Ministry is not just exclusively out there somewhere. Ministry is that but ministry is not segregated or segmented. It's not a part of our life. Biblical ministry is a 24-7, 100% comprehensive lifestyle. Whether you are doing what we call ministry, as I described earlier, spreading the fame of Christ to the world, or whether you are working a job, a non-ministry job, as some would call it. Ministry and ministers is who we, are, who we are. We're ambassadors for Christ, but our ambassador for Christ title doesn't begin when we walk out the door. And so a man's ministry, and again, I'm talking specifically to men, you can adapt this podcast to women, and I think you would be able to do this, but I want to talk about men because I've dealt with a number of men who, uh, in counseling, for example, where they talk about their ministry, but they're in counseling because their marriage is falling apart. They're having trouble. They're having relational difficulty with their wives and or with their children. And they'll talk about ministry and marriage as though it's two different things. And I try to communicate as clear as I know how that ministry is not out there somewhere. Just that. It's that plus. But that is not the starting point when you talk about ministry. Recently, I had a conversation with a gentleman who has this dichotomy view of ministry. He's got his marriage inside and inside the house, and he's got his ministry outside the house, if I could put it that way. And I told him that when I do leadership assessment, which we're talking about a leader, 
a minister of the gospel is a leader. And when I do ministry or leadership assessment for an individual who wants to go into ministry, the first piece of criteria, the first assessment that I make with that gentleman is about his wife. His wife is the person who is absolutely without question the closest individual to him. And if anybody has been affected by him, it has it is his wife. Nobody is as far as a man in marriage, nobody is affected more by that man than his wife. And so one of the things that I want to try to discern is how is he doing what Paul said in Ephesians 5, nourishing and cherishing his wife. Paul said in verse 29 that we don't hate our flesh. And so how is he non-hating his flesh? How is he loving his wife? Because what you don't want to do, and this is the problem that I've seen so many times, is that a man will skip that part and step outside and begin to minister the gospel, but he's hating his own flesh, his wife, to use Paul's language in Ephesians 5.29. So to nourish means to grow, and, and to cherish means to, uh, to warm. He's warming her, and he's growing her. Now, Without question, granted, the wife has a responsibility to grow and to mature in Christ, and she has a responsibility to do that in spite of her husband or in spite of, of any other situation in her life, as we all do, but that's not the point of this podcast. That's understood. We all have a responsibility to mature in Christ regardless of what is going on in our closest relationships or in our situational challenges. And so I have to grow in Christ, even though I've had two brothers murdered, even though I've walked through a divorce, even though my wife has been battling cancer, etc. And you have your own list of things in your life that are difficult and challenging, but we know as Christians that God's grace is greater than whatever is going on within our immediate circle that influences us and makes life difficult or maybe even frustrating. So I understand that the wife has a responsibility to grow and mature in Christ, but that's not the context of this podcast. A man has a responsibility to nourish and cherish his wife, to grow her to come alongside her and to help her to mature in Christ and to warm her, to cherish her. The way that I apply those in our marriage is to warm her means to provide an environment of grace that motivates my wife to want to be around me and, and, and want to follow me. That's that warmth, cherishing idea, not porcupinish or abusive or abrasive or harsh or unkind, but inviting. You think of Christ this way. Christ had that gathering ability. He, people were drawn to him. And there was a warmth about him. 
And that's how I think about this idea of cherishing. And I want to provide that context, not just for my wife, but also for my children, to where there is joy, there is a desire to lean into me, to hug me, to be around me, to converse with me, to laugh with me, to enjoy life together with me. That is a warm environment. And then, of course, nourishing is to, is to grow. And so I have a responsibility. As, I've, as I said earlier, I know that she has a responsibility when I'm acting like a, a knucklehead. It's not an excuse for me to act like a knucklehead. And I know that she has a responsibility to grow in, in spite of my, some of the sinful things that I do. But I can't negate my responsibility. Uh, to come alongside her and to nourish her and to to help her to to grow and we talk about these things regularly you know what's going on uh, in her soul and how she's doing and how can i serve her and walk through you know this that and the other and there's a lot of resources on our website that talks about how a man can effectively care for his wife in this growing aspect And if you want to talk about that, how can I do that? I don't know how to lead my wife. I don't know how to disciple her. I don't know how to create this environment of grace. Well, please get on our website. We have public forums for our non-supporting members. We have private forums for our supporting members. And we would be glad to give you some direction. We also provide private counseling. We have four exceptional counselors who have come out of my mastermind program. They're graduates of our program, and they do superb counseling, and they would be more than willing to come alongside you to help. And so we'd be glad to do that if you're unsure about this. But a man's ministry, when he says, hey, I want to be a minister of the gospel, where you already have been a minister of the gospel if you're married— and however long you have been married is, well, that's, let's, let's take a look at how that has been working for you. It's kind of like what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy 3. If you can't take care of your own household, you're not qualified to lead in the church. And, of course, he's talking about pastoral ministry there. But you can make an application that if you can't take care, if you can't serve your wife and love her and come alongside her and nourish and cherish her and lead her, well, then you're not qualified to have this ministry out there somewhere. And so that is a big piece when you are discerning about a, a man's ability to minister to other people. How is he doing that already? What is the objective evidence? And his wife would be more than glad to share that information with you because if he has been serving her well— and leading her well, she would be free to share that information with you. Again, it's, it's cyclic. You can, uh, if he's been doing it well, then she would be glad to share those things with you. But if she's afraid to share and talk about his leadership ability and how he is nourishing, cherishing her, well, that's an indication that things might not be well, and that would be a red flag, and that might not be a person who is equipped to take his ministry farther out into the reaches of God's world because he hasn't quite learned how to do it within the, the epicenter of his ministry, which is with his wife. And so when a man wants to do ministry, this major call to action is uh, how is he 
How has he been leading? And you look at his, his congregation, you look at his following, and if he's married, he has at least one follower, to use that language, and that's his, that's his complimentary helper. And so how has she been affected by his ministry? But a man's ministry works out in ever-increasing circles. And I, I discussed point two, actually. The, one of the things that I look at is his wife. But when you think about ministry, the person in the dead center, in the epicenter of that ministry, is the minister himself. Now, this also applies to the woman it applies to the teenager. Remember, teenagers are ministers of the gospel as well, if they are believers, and so are children. My children are ministers of the gospel. They minister according to the capacities that they have and the gifting that God has given them and the maturity levels that they have, but they are ministers of the gospel. We just had this conversation a couple of nights ago at the dinner table when my youngest, my 11-year-old, was asking me about counseling. We were talking about what counseling is, and I said, Anza, counseling is counseling is, is everything that you do. Everything about you is providing, is projecting counseling to those who are around you. If you are talking to those around you, you're providing counsel. If you are not saying anything, your body language, your attitudes, your sinfulness is counseling. That It may not be great counseling, but it is given an example of how to respond in a particular situation. And so if you respond in anger to one of your siblings, you're providing counsel. It's awful counsel. Satan provided awful counseling in Genesis chapter 3, but it was counsel. And as I was telling her, the question is, is not, do I counsel? We all are counselors, and we can counsel many different ways, good and bad, and so everybody is a minister of the gospel, whether you are a 10-year-old Christian, an 18-year-old, a single 20-something, or a married person, you are a counselor. Therefore, the epicenter of your ministry has to be yourself. You must take care of yourself spiritually and physically. Both of those are important. You need to be exercising and eating right. You want to do your part to be as cognizant mentally, to be as physically able as you possibly can, as much as God permits. I'm talking about secondary causes here. There are primary causes. God is the primary cause. He is the one that does. He's the overarching sovereign one. But we are secondary causes. We have a responsibility to cooperate with him. We can't be passive, fatalistic. We can't just say we have no responsibility. No, it is a secondary cause, not primary cause. And so within the realm of human responsibility is what I'm talking about here is secondary cause. We want to do all that we are able to do, as Paul said in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and do of his good pleasure. So as God is working in us as the primary cause agent, we are to work out 
Uh, of course, he's talking about spiritual things in Philippians 2, but we can't neglect our bodies as well because we want to be mentally as, as sharp as we can possibly be, even though you're, if you're like me, you might be the dullest knife in the drawer, but you, won't, you want to be the sharpest, dullest knife in the drawer, whatever that may be. You must take care of yourself. And then, of course, obviously, you want to take care of yourself spiritually, You want to be walking in the Spirit. You want to be a pneumatic individual where you have such a high sense of the Spirit's illuminations in your mind that that you're thinking God thoughts as much as you possibly can. And then when you do fail, when you do sin, you repent of that. Dear God, please forgive me because you want to keep it clean. You want to keep your, your offenses short. And when you do Uh, sin, you want to immediately own it, confess it, agree with God, I have sinned. That way you don't become dull of hearing, as the Hebrew writer said in 3.7 and 4.7, or as he talked about in 5.12 through 14. You don't want to become that person. You want to grow up in Christ as much as the primary cause agent has, has gifted you to do so. And Because if you don't do that, You become dull of hearing, let's say spiritually, and you become lazy physically. Well, you're not going to be able to minister as a – God's not going to bless that because that's pride. And he said in James 4, 6, he opposes the proud. And so if we are not keeping ourselves physically and spiritually fit, there will be some kind of oppositional resistance from the Lord because it's pride, because we're not doing what God has called us to do. And so if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, it is absolutely imperative that you take care of yourself. This is one of the few instances where you can say, I'm number one. You can hold up one of those foam fingers that these sports fans hold up saying, we're number one, we're number one. Well, in that sense, you are number one, and that's how Jesus functioned. He took care of himself, even to the point to where he got away from crowds. He wanted to get away from people, as he told his own disciples, hey, you guys have been out there ministering and doing a great work. You, you need to come apart for a while, and you need to rest. I like to say you need to come, a, come apart, as he said in the New Testament, before you come apart. You don't want to fall apart, and so you want to come apart. You want to get away from people. You must have these respites, these uh, retreats, whether it's a one-night retreat or a 10-day retreat. But you want to have these reviving sessions with God as Jesus would go up in the mountain and pray. He took care of himself. He knew the value of saying no, even to his family members. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? It's those who do the will of God. Or the rich young ruler, hey, you do it this way, you can follow me, but if you don't, or to Mary and Martha in John 11, they were trying to get him to be a little faster. Jesus was a little slow for them, but he would not budge. He would not move according to their agenda. And so Jesus learned the value of saying no, whether it was when he was ministering to others or when he ministered to himself, but he took care of himself, and that is essential. And so a man's ministry works out in ever-increasing circles. The epicenter of that circle is himself. Number two, as you draw a larger circle around that one, 
is his wife. And I've already made a strong case for that. And then number three, this is the third circle, and that's his children. If he has children, they are next. A a man's ministry is himself, his wife, and his children. They become exhibit A, B, and C as to what his ministry looks like. You can't skip this, and I know in too many cases people do skip this. And then number four, by the way, the way that worked out with Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he took care of himself, even pulling away from folks so that he could care for his soul. Number two, Jesus obviously was not married, but his next close network, as we understand from the New Testament, was was Peter, James, and John. They seemed to receive his uh, a greater amount of care. As he, he seemed to spend more time with them. And then number three, in Jesus' world, he didn't have children, but they were the other nine, the other nine apostles. And then number four, Mary, Martha, I mentioned, Nicodemus, Lazarus. There there was a, a close network of friends outside of the nine and outside of Peter, James, and John and outside of Jesus himself that he catered to. And so you see how his ministry grew in these larger circles, but the outer circle never displaced the inner circles, whatever whatever they may be. And this is important in family ministry, that the children do not come before the wife, that you do not neglect your wife, and she becomes tertiary, and your children become secondary. That is out of order because she is you. You are one flesh. And so a man's ministry begins with God and himself in the epicenter, and then God and himself, and then his wife, and then God himself and his wife, his children, and then number four, close friends. He he must have a close network of real-world friends. And I add this idea of real-world friends as opposed to cyber friends. The idea of koinonia, community, communication is, is with another human being is for those people to know all of you. They need to know the good and the bad of you, and we know in cyberspace that's not true. That can't be true because, well, you can't, you can't smell a person in cyberspace. You're not going to see them, especially in the bad times. And so cyberspace is where we, we put a version of ourselves out there for public consumption, but we do not put our entire selves. They don't see how we relate to our wives. They do not see how we relate to our children. And so this number four circle is he must have a close network of real-world friends who know all of him, and they are able to speak into his life. That's number four. Then number five is his local church. I put local church five, not four, because your entire local church is not going to know you. Now, preferably, these close friends are within your local church. If your church is is 50 people or 5,000 people within that church, ideally it would be great if there were one, two, three, four 
people within that local church that make up your close network of friends, but you see how your, your ministry continues to expand, and now you're in the local church. And then number six is your greater ministry. This ministry may be the thing that you do, this ambassador for Christ thing that I was talking about. It could be the ministry, as people talk about ministry. But again, I do not I do not define ministry as this, that thing that we do out there, as I've already stated several times. But this number six, your greater ministry, meaning it's out there somewhere, may be the thing that you do. Now, it could be your, your job at the factory or in the office, the engineering thing that you do. You know, that could be a place where you minister as well. This ministry that I have, rickthomas.net, it's number six on my list. It's not number one, two, three, or four, or five. It's my job. So when I say, that's why I don't, a lot of times I don't call it my ministry because it People, people can think, oh, that's his ministry, and, and not realize it. No, I am the center of my ministry. I try to take care of myself, and my wife is next, not this job I have. I love doing what I do professionally, vocationally. I love it. I mean, I really love it, but it's not, it's not more important than my wife. It's not more important than my children, and so my ministry is out there. And so it's a 24-7, seven-day-a-week thing. And that's what ministry looks like. And if we think of – if we dichotomize ministry from the rest of our lives, there's a good chance you can get yourself in trouble. And that's the thing that I want to – that's what I'm addressing here in this podcast because I, I see it so much, especially since the proliferation of, of blogs around 2005, which coincided with the smartphone, because with the smartphone, people are consuming more content, and now blogs are really taking off. They're accelerating. Now everybody has a voice. Everybody has a platform, and that's not necessarily a negative thing. Everybody can tell Christians have a platform, a megaphone to tell people about Jesus, and we can build this, our own little ministry, whatever size that may be. And if we're not careful, we can miss the primary components of our ministry, which is taking care of yourself physically and spiritually. If you are married, making sure that your wife receives your best ministerial care and then you are doing that with your children, and then it works out to where it's that thing that you do, whether it's a part-time deal that you got going on as far as ministry, or it becomes something full-time like what I'm doing here, or it's something that you do in the church. And so if you are married to a person in ministry, a man in ministry, the question that I want to ask you, wife, is how is he ministering to you? How are you part of his, his global, comprehensive, exhaustive ministry because it should incorporate you? If you are a child of a father who is in ministry, 
where do you fit within these circles? Are you out on the periphery somewhere and, and just a side item, or are you near the epicenter of what he values and, and cherishes? Where are you? If you want to talk about this, whether you are a man or a woman, I encourage you to come to our website, rickthomas.net. It would be a pleasure. It would be a joy uh, to be able to talk to you. This is what we do, and I want you to get on our website. We'd be glad to direct you. Now, possibly you're in, you're in a situation to where it's difficult for you uh, to talk in a public setting, even though it's our private forums. And I understand that. And if you would like to meet for counseling, we would be glad to do that. As I said earlier, we have exceptional counselors who would uh, be glad to meet with you. But your first call to action, if 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 there is a problem uh, within your marriage and family as it pertains to the context of what I'm talking about here, a man in ministry may be more than what you think. That's the title of this podcast if there is a problem there, your first call to action is to go to your pastor and, and talk about this. You have to talk to those people who have the uh, spiritual oversight uh, and the spiritual accountability in the man's life to be able to address this issue. Now, if that can't happen and you need someone that you need to talk to, then please do that. Come to rickthomas.net, and you can ask any question. If you are a man and you're in ministry and you want to expand your ministry out there somewhere, uh, but you want to know how to do that, then come. We'd be glad to direct you. If you're taking care of yourself, your wife, your children, and you want to do more, let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.